The English language is a work in progress. Have fun with it. Jonathan Culver. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. We hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, and thank you for joining us for this bonus episode. We've talked a lot about things you need to know in order to improve your writing. A lot of the work that goes into being a master with language. But language is also a lot of fun. There are so many ways to twist language. One of my favorite examples of this is Brandon Sanderson's character, Wit. He's supposed to be kind of a court jester character, but he's also a very, very old old person who's been around for I don't even know how long. He's kind of a mystery character to the Cosmere still. And he plays with language so much. These moments that a character is just dropping puns or alliterations or different things when the author is playing with language are always so much fun. I recently returned from a trip with my brother and his wife to Disneyland. Now, my brother and I both love dad jokes and puns and those kind of things. We ended up going on the Jungle Cruise with his wife. For those of you that don't know, the Jungle Cruise is basically puns the entire ride. It is a lot of fun. I feel like the movie really lived up to that. But my brother and I were tossing puns back and forth the entire time as well. And his wife was rolling her eyes as much as humanly possible. It was a blast. You have to give credit to the people who write the script for those kind of things. Because in order to play with language, yes, it's a blast. Yes, it's a lot of work. But this is how you know someone is truly a master of their language. When they're making fun of the words themselves. William Shakespeare was a master of these kinds of things. It's so sad to me that people look at his works so stuffily when they're just full of puns and jokes and hilariousness. I honestly think if English teachers taught all of the fart jokes, as well as the the drama of whatever it is that they're reading, high schoolers would love Shakespeare so much more. Absolutely. And part of the reason why we can have so much fun, especially with English, is because English is a conglomeration of a bunch of languages. We always like to say that English mugged other languages and rifled through their pockets for spare verbs. It's completely true. (laughs) Now, we are aware that we've done episodes on writing humorous characters and writing humorous things before, but we wanted to go through this particular list because they should be at least as much for your own entertainment as they are for the reader's entertainment. If you enjoy it, your readers probably will as well. So one of the first things we want to talk about are alliterations. Alliterations can help emphasize things, can help draw attention to certain things, and just give a little bit of fun. So an alliteration is when the word in a phrase all start with the same letter or sound. It's kind of like the reverse of a rhyme. 
They can be understood through thorough, tough thought, though. That hurts. <laughs> that hurts to read. It was difficult to say, so I practiced that one. Having words shaped similarly, and especially starting with the same letter, are a way to draw a correlation. I have two characters in my book right now whose names both start with the same letter. The rest of it's different, so you can tell them apart, but it draws a connection between those two characters. In my story, I have a moment where my female main character is trying to get the male main character to give her his name. And she's like, well, if I'm going to be stuck with you, I might as well know what to call you. And he just kind of refuses. And she's like, okay, well, then either I'm going to call you Arcanist, because that's his magic style, or A-hole, because the alliteration. I need to come up with a curse word that I can use on this podcast to fill in that blank. We will be talking about how to create curse words and when to use modern day curse words next season. But I'm going to stick with the alliteration because it provides that punch that, okay, either I get to call you this or this other thing that kind of sounds similar but is different and derogatory. And that connects the two in the reader's mind. So they're going to remember that your character is an arcanist because he's also this other title she's assigned to him. Another fun way to play with language won't necessarily happen in your novels, but it helps you think about words differently. We're talking about panagrams. Did you ever take one of those typing classes in high school where you had to type the quick brown fox? Jumped over the lazy dog? Yes. That is a panagram. The definition of a panagram is it includes every letter in the English, in this case, alphabet, at least once. They're super useful in typing classes because you're making sure you're familiarizing yourself with every letter as you type. I honestly think that we need to change the standard panogram from the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog to sphinx of black quartz, judge my vow. It's so much more epic. Very uh, Lovecraftian there. <laughs> But if you want to go for epic, this next one's kind of my favorite. Intoxicated Queen Elizabeth vows Mick Jagger is perfection. Because of my knowledge of history, when I see that, I think of Queen Elizabeth I, not the current Queen of England, which makes that imagery even more hilarious. If you go and look up Google Fonts, they have a whole bunch of panograms that they use in order to display the fonts that they are offering you. These are super helpful because you can see every single letter in there. We would love to see your panograms. If you come up with a panogram that we haven't mentioned here, let us know. Share it with us on our Facebook page, something, because panograms are a fun puzzle to try to follow all of these other rules that we've covered this month and this collection of rules of making sure you include all of the letters in the alphabet. As someone who has spent a fair amount of my career studying sound and especially speech parts of sound, this next one is fairly obscure, but I wanted to mention it because they're fascinating to me. We're talking about Harvard sentences. These are kind of like your panograms, but with sound instead of with letters. 
So a Harvard sentence is taking every aspect of speech, every type of sound in speech, and putting it together. These are often used for testing sound systems to make sure there aren't any holes in the sound wherever you're going. Or if you're establishing communications over long distances, the military will use these sentences to see how far their reach is, that kind of thing. These are filler sentences in order to help test and hear sound. Apparently, they are also used in CGI modeling to observe how an actor's mouth moves when they're talking so they can see all of the different shapes that the mouth makes for all of the different sounds. When I was in theater, the non-main characters on stage would have to pretend like they're talking without actually saying anything. And you don't want to just make it look like the jaws moving up and down. You got the robot small world animatronic look. So we would always say peanut butter alligator because it looks like we're saying something that's not technically a Harvard sentence because it's not a sentence. But these Harvard sentences would do the same thing because we're seeing speech and it doesn't have to make sense. Sentences like glue the sheet to the dark blue background. It's easy to tell the depth of a well. Rice is often served in round bowls. There are square bowls? My, my roommate has some square bowls. They're weird. <laughs> the box was thrown beside the parked truck. These sentences have these sounds in them so that you can hear every element of sound. And they're sentences. So it's phonetically more interesting than it is as a writer, but it's definitely fun to play with. Something to know and listen to. I mean, especially if you're going to write a contemporary story about somebody who works in a sound system or whatever. Just something to know about. Another way people, technicians, namely, play with language. And of course, one of the most fun ways to play with language is to use puns. Absolutely, hands down my favorite. There are different categories of puns. One of the most common uses of puns are the play on words, using and toying with homonyms and homophones. So did you hear that diarrhea is genetic? It is. Yeah, it runs in your genes. And of course, that is a play on genes, G-E-N-E-S, and genes, J-E-A-N-S. There are a lot of times where I get a little frustrated because we're a strictly audio format in this podcast and I want to draw stuff. That's how I've taught for basically all my life. This is one of those moments where I'm glad we're strictly audio because this makes a lot less sense on paper than it does hearing it. Of course, because puns aren't really mature until they're full grown. Ba-dum-tsh. Another type of pun is when you have two different words that are playing off of each other in order to tell the joke. Something like, I felt unsettled inside, so I had an evening out. That in and out play back and forth makes the line humorous. And then, of course, the, did you hear the joke about gaslighting? No. Yes, you did. The joke there doesn't make any sense if you don't know what gaslighting means. We're playing with the definitions of words in order to create the pun. And it's that relationship of what gaslighting is and then turning around and saying, well, yeah, you heard the joke. 
The third type of pun we're going to cover today is when a single word has two different meanings. I remember this one growing up. My dad would say this and he thought it was hilarious and I'm more amused by it now than I was then. The blind carpenter picked up his hammer and saw. <laughs> I have never heard that one before. <laughs> that was like one of the first ones I put in the notes. I'm like, yep, I know where this one's going. <laughs> this is probably one of my favorites from that character Wit as well. Somebody asks him if he has two and he's two what? Eyes, hands, or spheres? And then he kind of goes on playing with both eyes, hands, and spheres and what they mean in different ways. So it's a lot of fun. It's a combination of the homophones and the having two different meanings. Another example of this same spelling, different word, would be the duck didn't have cash, so he told the bartender to put it on his bill. Of course, we know duck anatomy. He has the the beak, the bill. And not having cash implied that he was racking up a room service bill. It's a fun way to draw lines that aren't naturally connected in the brain. And I will say punning is an art form and it is a skill and it takes practice. Because a lot of puns fall flat. They really do. The most groan-worthy puns are either the ones where it's like, okay, that was actually terrible, or the ones that were so amazing, all you can do is groan. Yes, if they fall flat, that means they're a really good pun. Keep it up. There is actually a TV show. It's an adult cartoon called Bob's Burgers, and they have a pun quota. They have to meet at least three or four puns per episode. So if you happen to watch the TV show, keep an eye on a lot of the stores around the burger shop that the story centers around, and a lot of those are actually puns. So for example, they have a boxing gym in there called I'd Hit That. Which makes me giggle. I'm not much of an adult cartoon type person, but after doing the research for this episode, I might check out an episode or two of this one. Another way to play with language is a form called Tom Swifties. I had never heard of this before, but it's the use of an adverb in the dialogue tag that plays off a sentence within the dialogue. We have said that especially if it's in a dialogue tag, reconsider your adverb. This is one of those moments where you need that in there in order to have your joke land. It's a little bit on the punny side. So, for example, I forgot what I needed at the store, Tom said listlessly. If you find a synonym for that, it just wouldn't be as funny. Another one of my favorites is, I love putting stuff on my hot dog, Tom said with relish. To the back of the ship, now, Tom ordered sternly. (laughs) So it's these uses of puns in and out of dialogue to emphasize and just have fun with language. Because, I mean, that's what this whole episode is about, is having fun with the language. Now on to probably one of my favorites, because I have been known to do this accidentally plenty of times. And that is the malaphor. It's the blending of two metaphors into something else. 
Often there are cliches and sayings. The classic is, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. The saying talking about burning bridges and we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. We'll burn that bridge when we get to it is a fun way to merge the two that tells you a little bit about the character as well. I remember one time in college, I think one of my roommates hurt themselves. And I was like, ah, be a man, eat dirt. Because, you know, they have that, like, rub some dirt on it and you'll be fine. It just came out as be a man, eat dirt. (laughs) Yeah, rub some dirt on it is my martial arts instructor. That's what he says anytime we get hurt in practice. Because if you rub it, you stimulate the blood going to it and it feels better. So he's always rub some dirt in it. But I might have to tell him to eat dirt next. (laughs) (laughs) Another couple examples of a malafor would be we could stand here and talk until the cows turn blue. So cows come home or face turns blue. It's time to step up to the plate and put your cards on the table. Those don't match. (laughs) That's a baseball and a poker theme. I will say... If I saw that outside of dialogue in the story, I would probably highlight your mixing metaphors here and make sure that's something that they are intending because it's humorous, but I'm not always sure if it's outside of dialogue, if it's intended to be as humorous as it is. And that is kind of, I think, the point of a lot of Malifors within writing. It needs to be dialogue. It needs to be part of a character's existence, their character traits. And it should probably also be limited to a single character. Because this is such an identifying feature, you don't want to mix it up and have all of your characters be using Malifors all the time because then it starts to lose its effectiveness. Another way that Malifors and puns and a lot of these other ways that you play with language really become humorous is when you're upending a cliché. So a lot of these malafors are doing that because you think the sentence is going to end one way and it turns out it ends a different way. Upending that cliche, understanding how your audience thinks something is going to end and then it doesn't, can be a great tool in your arsenal. One of the best examples of this being used to start off a book is Douglas Adams. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. The way that starts off, in the beginning, the universe was created. Okay, yeah, we we kind of have heard that phrase a bunch of times. But the way it finishes was God made a bad decision by doing so becomes humorous. If you want to look at any type of humor with the written language, definitely study Douglas Adams. He is fantastic with this idea of playing with language. Another way to upend a cliche isn't necessarily with the words that you're using yourself, but with the story plot in general. I've seen several Reddit threads on this particular topic, and one is of a story from the point of view of a supervillain who realizes that the opposing side has sent this like kid after him. So he sort of throws the easy bad guys at the kid and just kind of keeps him entertained, but like protects him because he's a kid. So he's vilifying the council that sent Peter Parker or whoever. Upending that cliche can make this a lot of fun. Or, of course, writing a story 
that the prophecy is about an old woman being the chosen one, not an emotionally unstable young person. So this old woman sets off to defeat a villain, and it's her poor orderly that has to follow behind and take care of her. Make sure she takes her pills on time and feed the cats. So it's just a a fun idea to take what we know, the tropes, the cliches, and find new ways to play with them. We talked about applying any one of these to one particular character in your story, and that's where we get to our homework for today's episode. We're going to suggest that you conceptualize. You don't necessarily have to add the character, depending on the mood that you're going for in the story. But conceptualize a character in your story that is only funny to you. What way could they play with language that would just make you have a lot of fun? Are they masterful at telling dad jokes? Do they drop puns as often as possible? If you do include this character, have another character who is incredibly annoyed at all of them, never laughs at the jokes. It's a classic comedy trick where if the audience isn't laughing at the joke, they're relating to the one who isn't laughing at the joke. So your audience is aligned with a character depending on how well your jokes are received. The whole purpose of this episode of playing with language is to have fun because writing should be fun. It is vital to enjoying the process. And the best way to enjoy the writing process is to write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 